Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Of course, we're continuing our study of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. That's what we've been seeing. And we've been going verse by verse, passage by passage. We've come to a section a little bit hard. Jesus begins to teach using parables. Now, remember, a parable comes from the Greek word parabole. Para means beside. Bole means to throw. So a parable is something that's thrown beside or put beside to help explain something. So it's like a little story to help explain a truth. And then what is the purpose? Why would Jesus teach in parables? And we saw this last week, and for some, it's, it's a little bit strange, but when you look at this, Jesus teaches in parables so that some will understand and some will not understand. He went on to say that those who believe in him, those who have trusted in him, as he teaches parables, they can grasp some of these spiritual truths and things. But those religious leaders and other people who had rejected him, when he teaches in parables, they're not able to understand it. That, and that's, that was his plan. And we're going to see it as even a fulfillment of prophecy. There were seven parables, or the seven parables in chapter 13, we saw the sower of the field, and that was really throwing out the seed and the response to it. The field is the one we saw last week. Jesus didn't explain it last week. We'll see the explanation this week. The mustard seed and the leaven, we saw those last week, and that's the kingdom starts out small and gets bigger and bigger. And then we're going to see two more this morning after the, he explains the field, the hidden treasure and the pearl. And then next week, we'll see his last one, which is on, on, on what we call the dragnet. So Jesus explains this morning the parable of the field and then gives a couple of others. I think back to when I was a little boy, I actually went to the movies and saw To Kill a Mockingbird. And I was young. I was probably 10 or 12 or 13 when the movie was out. Then I went ahead and read the book. And if you remember the book, it's about the two, two young kids in southern, in the south. It's in Georgia. Uh, one's named Jim and, and his sister's named Scout. And they live in, they have the same bedroom. And they, uh, one night they're, they're in, it's hot, the window is open. They're in there talking and Jim says, Scout, I've got something I've never showed you. And she says, what is it, Jim? Because he's older. And he's like her hero, of course. And he goes under his bed, and he pulls out a cigar box. And he opens it up. And inside that is a pocket knife and an old watch and some jacks and uh, two small dolls carved out of soap. And all this was given to him by Boo Radley. Boo was the crazy man who lived next door, and everybody thought he was crazy. He'd kill you, but he actually loved those kids. And so Scout marveled, and they said, boy, what a treasure. And these things were very valuable to Jim and to Scout. You know, the Bible talks about treasure all the time. In fact, in our passage this morning, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And you know, a treasure, I, I, I used to read the Bible, and I think I read it long, wrong, because the Bible actually says that what we treasure, we love. I always thought what you love, you treasure. Oh, I love that, so I'm going to take care of it. The Bible actually says what you treasure is what you love. And so as we continue our study of the Gospels, and the Gospel of Matthew, and as we continue seeing the parables, he's going to talk about, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. We'll see what he means when we get to that. Of course, in our study, Jesus has changed his method of teaching up to this point. He's been declaring that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that he's the Messiah. He's going straight to the Jewish people, and he's telling them to believe in him as the Messiah and the Savior, that he is the king of the Jews. And some have believed in him and following him, and he's got the 12, the 12 apostles, 12 disciples, and other people that follow him. Some are following him for the wrong reason. Some are following him for the right reason. The religious leaders are rejecting him. And in fact, they said all of his miracles are done by Satan's power. And then even the nation as a whole is not believing in him. So he has now changed, and he begins to teach in parables. 
And we, we, we said that he's teaching the parables because he wants the believers to be able to get even more information, but for the unbelievers, they're not able to grasp it. He's teaching these parables, we call them, of the kingdom. Now, let me remind you about uh, uh, the, the kingdom. Let me just show you this. This is where Jesus came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again, sent it back to heaven. We are in the church age. That's where we are. Some people just call it the New Testament aspect. We're in the church age. The next event will be the rapture. Jesus Christ comes, gets us, takes us out. There'll be a seven-year tribulation on the earth. And then there is the second coming of Christ. I want you to understand something. The first coming of Christ to the earth was to die. The second coming of Christ to the earth is to reign. There is a coming in the clouds, which we call the rapture. That's not the first or the second coming. That's a coming in the clouds. First coming to the earth to die, second coming to the earth to reign. When he comes as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he sets up a kingdom and he rules for a thousand years. That's found in Revelation chapter 20. says it seven times in that one chapter that he will rule for a thousand years. When he's talking about the mysteries of the kingdom, he's talking about this time period here. And we're going to see it as we go through it. So he's saying, this is what this kingdom is going to be like. And so that's what he's doing. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we talked about this when we started the book. And we said that there are three big sections in Matthew that you need to understand. One is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, which was the Sermon on the Mount. We saw that a long time ago. We're now in chapter 13, which we call the parables of the kingdom. That is a very special chapter. And then later on, it's going to be a little while from now, we'll get to Matthew chapters 24 and 25, which we call it the Olivet Discourse because he's on the Mount of Olives when he teaches it, and it deals with end-time events. He actually gives us what happens at the, during the tribulation and at the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the kingdom. That's in the book, so we'll see that. Now, we have seen, and I, I mentioned it already, we've seen the seven parables. The first one was the sower. And if you remember this, I just want to remind you because the, 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 the parable of the sower is actually how does a person respond to the word of God? And we saw that in the parable of the sower, the first one never got the message and they never believed. The second one got the message and believed the message. They believed in Jesus Christ, but they never grew because they weren't rooted and grounded in it, basically. The third one believed the message, but never grew because they were choked out by the pools of the world. But the fourth seed basically grew, believed in the Messiah, believed, understood it, and applied God's word and were fruitful. So that was called the parable of the, the soils, and it's really the parable of, of, he called it the parable of the sower, but it was how responded to that. Now, last time, we saw the parable of the field, and uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of go through that and, and show you what it is in just a minute. This morning, this is how we're going to break up our passage. We're going to see that these parables that he's talking about is actually a fulfillment from the Old Testament, that verses 13 and four, uh, 34 and 35. Then the parable of the field will be explained. Then he gives two more parables. They're short. They have the same idea. One's the parable of the treasure, and the other's the parable of the pearl, and we'll see that as we go through it. So remember, parables basically have a main point. Sometimes when people read a parable, they try to pick out every little detail in there, but that's not exactly how it meant. Now, Jesus is going to explain the parable this morning. We'll see how it fits and see how it does. So let's begin with, first of all, that the parable, him speaking in parables, is actually a fulfillment. Notice verse, 30, uh, verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. 
and he did not speak to them without parables. Now, why is he doing that? Remember, he's teaching them because he said one of the reasons is so that the believers could grasp what he's saying and even get more information, but the unbelievers would not understand it. And then he says, this fulfills Scripture. In fact, this is a psalm of Asaph, and this is actually a quote from Psalm 78, verse 2. It says this, this will fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. Now, he says that when I speak in parables, Jesus is actually saying, I'm only fulfilling what the Bible said. The scripture said that when the Messiah would come, he would speak in parables. Now, it's really unusual because if you go back to the Hebrew, when he says, I will utter these things which have been hidden, the word utter means to bellow. It means to shout. It means to roar. He's actually saying, I will roar out this message. And he did, but he's going to do it in parables. And if you go all the way back to Matthew 13, verse 11, Jesus said, they asked him, why do you speak in parables? He said, because to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but to them, the unbelievers, it has not been granted. Now, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was given information about the end times and the kingdom, but not a whole lot of information. Now we see we're getting more information. So I just wanted to remind you that when Jesus talks about the parables of the kingdom, he's not talking about us, church age. He's talking about the future, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, let's go to the parable. Let's look at verse 36. This is the parable of the field explained. Verse 36, then he left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him and they said, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Now, before we, he explains it, let me go back. Let's just go back real quickly. And uh, I want you to look at it, okay? It's, go back to verse 24. Jesus presents this parable to him. This is at Matthew 13, verse 24. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. So it says, there was this man who went out and he sowed wheat. But then while he was asleep, an enemy came and put in tares. And then when they sprouted and bore grain, the tares became evident. And the slave owners, the slaves of the owner came to him and said, Sir, didn't you put good seed in there? Yes. How did this happen? He said, An enemy has done it. An enemy has put the tares in there. And then they said, Should we should we go out there right now and try to separate it? He said, No, no, no. Wait. Wait, because if you gather them up, you may mess everything up. He says, let them grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, go out there and bind up the tares and then burn them and bind up the wheat and put it in the barn. Well, that was the parable. And if you, if even us, as we read this, we go, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like there's good and bad. There's those who believe in Jesus, those who reject in Jesus, and at the end times, he, he's, there's going to be a separation. Well, that's exactly right, but let's see, let's let Jesus explain it. So in verse 36 again, he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the field. And as we look at this, it's really going to be dealing with the wheat and the tares and the coming separation. So here's what he said. He said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. So the sowers, the son of, so is Jesus. So he's given out the message. And then he goes on and says, and the field is the world and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. So the field is the world, and the good seeds are those, the sons of the kingdom. If you have put your faith 
in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a son or a child of the kingdom. That's why I love the songs this morning. We're children of God. Those who ever believe in him will never perish but have everlasting. And whoever believes in him become children of God. We are sons of the kingdom. So he says that the field is the, is the world and the son of man is the one who sows the good seed. And he says the, sons, the good seed are the, are the sons of the kingdom. But then he goes on and says, but the tares, the false wheat, they're sons of the evil one. That's the devil. Notice what he says. He says, the field is the world. This is verse 38. And for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil ones. Now, you know, when it first started growing up, you couldn't tell the difference. You said, well, it, you know, you can barely tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. And some, in our world, sometimes you can't always tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. And sometimes it's because the believers are living like unbelievers, but also sometimes it's unbelievers are living like believers. You know, and so you can't always tell, and it's hard to tell. And, and, and listen to this. He says, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil, you know, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. Now, I want you to notice what he just said. He said, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are, you are a child of the Father. If you have not believed in Jesus Christ, you're a child of the devil. That's what he just said. And uh, some people don't want to talk about that, but being a believer, your father is God, but not being a believer, your father is Satan. See, we live in a world that says everybody's children of God. No, everybody's not children of God. Everybody has been created by God. Everybody is God's handiwork, but only those who have believed in Jesus Christ are children of God. And so let me read it to you again. He says, the field is the world, verse 38, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. That's the believers are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares, that's the unbelievers, really, they're the sons of the evil one. And he goes on and says, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. We don't always think about that, but the enemy is the devil. And by the way, he's always a liar, John 8, 44. He's always a liar. Now, let me remind you of something. What is Satan's plan? What does he want? There's so many things, but the bottom line is this. Two things. Number one, he never wants an unbeliever to believe in Jesus Christ. Never wants an unbeliever to trust in Christ as Savior. He wants, listen, he loves for people to be religious He loves for people to go to church because they think going to church is going to save them. He loves all the religions of the world. In fact, all the religions of the world go back to Satan because all the religions of the world say, do this and somehow you'll earn pleasure with God. That's what Satan wants people to believe. So he never wants an unbeliever to believe in Jesus Christ because if you believe in Jesus Christ, you get what? What do you get? Eternal life and you're saved and saved forever. He never wants that. So he would love to have people be religious and, you know, and think that works will do it. You know, we can go into the community, and we've done this, and we talk to people, and we'll say, uh, let me ask you a question. If you were to die, would you go to heaven? And they say, I, I think I would. Why? Well, because I've tried to live a good life. or I've tried. Listen, that's the lie of the devil. That's what he wants. He wants people to think that doing good will get them to God. First of all, people can't do good. God loves you, and he sent his son to, to be the Savior. So the, the first thing, he never wants somebody to trust Christ. Second. If you trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, it's too late to stop you from having eternal life. But his second thing is he doesn't want you to grow. He wants you to be wrapped up as, as you remember the sower of the field where some people, uh, they, they believe in Jesus Christ, but they never grow because they never get rooted and grounded and trials and problems come along and mess them up or they never grow because they let the cares of the world or they let the riches of the world and they let all that just take over. And before you know it, uh, they say, well, you know, I know I'm a, I'm, I'm a Christian, but, you know, we, we go to church some, well, we don't really go. You know, we, and what you, before you know it, they're just not growing at all. He loves that. 
He says, listen, I can't stop them from having eternal life, but I can stop them from making a difference by them being so tied up into the things of the world. And that's his plan. So first of all, for every one of you in this room, I hope and pray that, there's, that all of us in this room have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, so it's too late. He can't stop us from having eternal life. But he can affect your life in such a way that you might not grow. And so you want to grow. You want your life to count for Christ. And, and that's, what, that's what we want. So, and then notice what he says. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Listen, the harvest is at the end of the age, not the church age. This is the, the church hadn't even started. When Jesus is talking about this, it's back over here. He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. He's never even told them about the church. In fact, the church is a, is a mystery, okay? So when he says the harvest is the end of the age, the end of the age is right here, the, that what we'd call the age of the Jewish people, and he's getting ready to start the kingdom. And so he's saying, listen, there's going to come a time in which there's the world, and there's Jesus Christ, and there's the believers, and there are the unbelievers, and then there's going to be a time that there's going to be a harvest. And, and uh, look what he says. In verse 40, he says, just so just as the tares are gathered up in this parable and burned, so will it be at the end of the age. Just as the tares are burning, so will we'll be at the end of the age. And then he goes on and says, the Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire in that place that will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You understand that one day Jesus Christ is going to come, and there's going to be a separation, and people who have never believed in him when he comes right there, people who have never believed in him will be separated. Believers will go into the kingdom to, to rule and reign in righteousness with Jesus Christ. Unbelievers will not. It's that simple. This is what Jesus is teaching. And he says they will be in a place they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which means sorrow and sadness and pain. And, and, but look what he says in verse 43. Then the righteous, that's us, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have God's righteousness, you're called a righteous person. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Daniel chapter 12 says, the righteous will shine. There will come a time when Jesus Christ will come and separate the believers from the unbelievers. I put some verses up here. I want to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. In fact, don't turn there. But in Matthew chapter 25, in verse 31, it says, The Son of Man will come in His glory, and all of His angels with Him. He will sit on His glorious throne. He comes as the King. And the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And it says He put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And He goes on and explains that the sheep are the believers and the goats are the unbelievers. Listen to this. This is Revelation. I love this passage. Revelation 19. Verse 11, I saw heaven open and a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. He is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's coming to rule the world in righteousness. And there's going to be a separation of the believers from the unbelievers. The first parable we saw that he explained was how do you respond to the Word of God? Some people never believe. Some people believe and don't grow. Some other people believe and don't grow. But some people believe and grow and produce fruit. That's what we want to be, people who have believed and produce fruit. This parable basically says there are going to be believers and unbelievers. And one of these days when he comes to set up the kingdom, they will separate the believers from the unbelievers. Now, 
as we continue, he's got two more quick parables and we'll see them. But one's the parable of the treasure, the other's the parable of the pearl. Both deal with the value of the kingdom. But before we look at that, I want to just remind you. The first parable that we saw was the parable of the sower, and it showed man's response to the word of God, the message of the kingdom rewards. Then we saw this morning the parable of the field, which shows there'll be a gathering, separation, and judgment at the end of the age when Jesus comes back. We saw two other parables last time, parable of the seed and the parable of the leaven. Both show the growth of the kingdom starts small and gets bigger. Now, this morning, two more parables, the parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearl. Some people read this one wrong. I'll show you as we go through it. But what we're seeing is the value of the kingdom. Let me ask you a question. When it's all said and done, where do you want to be? You want to be in the kingdom or you want to be separated? You want to be in the kingdom, don't you? How important is it to be in the kingdom? How valuable is it to be to have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ and to be with him forever? These next two parables deals with that issue, and this is called the parable, first of all, parable of the treasure. Verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. He found something hidden. Literally, it says, having been hidden. Some of the messages, the truths about the kingdom and all that. And so he found it, and in great joy, he says, I'm going to go and sell what I have so I can get the field, and I have that. So he sells all that he has to buy the field. Now, some people think it's saying, in order to get to heaven, you have to give up everything. That's not what he's saying. His point is the kingdom is so valuable, it's more valuable than anything that one might have. It's the most important thing. The Bible doesn't say sell all you have and give everything you have in order to be saved. It may say give what you have in order to be a disciple and live for Christ, but salvation is a gift. This is saying that the kingdom of heaven is so important, it was more valuable than anything else. And so it was a joy. What was it? It was, it was uh, to, 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 uh, to go get it. And to have an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ is more important than anything you could ever imagine. Look again. Look at the second parable. He says again, and he's saying again because they're going to match. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant selling pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so he says the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a pearl. Now, the, the, the word pearl is, is so special. We, it, it's, uh, the Greek word is margareta. We get the word margaret. We get the name margaret from it. I have a sister. My sister's name's Margaret. So really her name's Pearl. And, and that's the, the, the Greek word. And so look what it says. And finding this one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. He sold all that he had. Now, once again, the point is, it was so valuable, it was more valuable than anything else he could have. And to be with Jesus Christ is more valuable than anything else is the most important thing. So these two parables are showing that. So what do we see? Man sells all to buy the field with the treasure. The man finds the pearl and sells all to get it. The most important thing. And so just understand this. Being in the kingdom of heaven is the most important thing in the world. Now, there's, a, there's another view. There's some people that view this, that Jesus is saying that he goes and buys the pearl, and it's a picture of him buying, you know, dying on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind and all of that. I don't, I, I'd say that's okay, and that's true. I don't think that's what those two parables are saying, but some say they are. I just want to give you some different views. And I said also, some people believe that these, this parable is saying you have to give up everything in order to be saved. We don't believe that. 
We don't believe that salvation is you giving up everything and costing you everything to be saved. We believe it costs you everything to be a disciple but not to be saved. Salvation is a gift. Simply by faith, the most valuable gift you could ever receive comes by faith. It's not, it, it, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's the only way. And so we know from the Bible that salvation is a gift. This is talking about a person counting something as very valuable. I think in the flow, since these are all called parables of the kingdom, I think he's saying the kingdom and being with Jesus is more important than anything you could ever have or any way. Now, next week, we're going to see the final parable. And if you notice where we are, look at verse 47. He says, again, another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. If you've read that in the past, you understand what he's saying, and we'll see it when we look at it next week. Let me give you some applications so you can put this together. The first one is, let's realize the value of being in the kingdom of God. Let's just realize that eternal life is a gift, but how valuable is it? It's the most important thing you could ever have. Eternal life is by faith. It's not works. We receive the gift, but it is valuable. So trust in Christ as Savior to give you eternal life so that you can be in the kingdom so it is the most valuable thing. And then second, as believers, let's serve Christ. Let's serve him now so we can serve him in the kingdom. Now, that's why people sometimes get mixed up because they hear people say, well, you know, aren't you supposed to live for Christ? Yeah, you are. That has nothing to do with your salvation. You don't get to be saved and stay saved by living for Christ. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ and him alone. Your service is how you're rewarded in the kingdom. Second one is this. Let's realize that a time of separation is coming. right there. This is us. We trusted Christ as Savior. We're in the church age. The very next event, Jesus Christ is going to come in the clouds and we're going to be gone and there's going to be this time on the earth called the tribulation, which actually deals with the Jewish people. It's their final seven years of the 490 years that God gave to them, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. But then Jesus comes and he comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and there's going to be a separation. And according to the parable, there's wheats and tares and he's going to separate them out. And according to Matthew 24, 25, there's going to be sheep and goats. He's going to separate them out. And we need to realize that there are people we come in contact with every day who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. And we realize that time of separation is coming. So what do we need to do? We need to proclaim Christ. We need to, tell, we need to talk to our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones, our families. We need to talk to them and make sure they understand that salvation is a gift and by trusting in Jesus Christ, they have eternal life and they become a part of the kingdom of God. That's that important. One thing that we see from that parable is that unbelievers can look just like believers. And sometimes believers can look just like unbelievers. And so you may have friends that you say, oh, they're really good people. My next door neighbor, I mean, they watch our house, they do everything. They're just the sweetest people in the world. Yeah, but they may not know Christ as Savior. They may be the sweetest people in the world, but they don't know Jesus Christ. And they'll be a goat, and they'll be a tear, and they'll be separated. So we need to proclaim and understand that this, there's a time coming in which all those who have trusted in Christ will be with him and be in the kingdom and then on into the eternal state. And those who have never trusted Jesus Christ will be separated and be separated from him forever.